and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We're all familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. It was told to two groups of people, tax collectors and sinners, and the scribes and Pharisees, and both are in the story. Lead teacher Randy Pope brings us this Holy Week message entitled Jesus, a Compassionate, Forgiving Warrior, which covers Mark chapter 11 verses 7 to 19 and Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. With that, let's pray and then we'll jump into God's word, okay? Father in heaven, we do pray for this great week ahead as we kick it off now with with uh, this great day of Palm Sunday, we pray, would you bless and would the, the things that are in your word feed us in such a way that we would know you a little bit better, we'd understand you and we'd understand your son Jesus, we would understand uh, the spirit, the whole, the, the trinity, who you are, that we might get to know you better and know your ways. I pray that it would impact our lives and certainly bless you. So grant that we ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Or look at the title that you have on your on your insert there. Jesus, a compassionate, forgiving warrior. It's interesting. I, I think that people today, I tend to think one or the other, usually not the two together, that this Jesus, oh yeah, he's compassionate. He's forgiving. But we kind of say, uh, but a warrior? Oh, we think, you know, this God, oh, he's a warrior. Okay. Look at all the hard, bad things he does to people. And I don't know how compassionate he is. I'm not really sure that he's very forgiving. But really, it's these two seen together, I think, give us a great picture of who our Savior really is. Now, Palm Sunday recognizes an event that is one week before we have what we call Easter, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. What a lot of people don't understand is we know about the donkey and coming into Jerusalem and all that stuff. We know what happens in the temple and, and all the things that he does there. And but we maybe don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. You see, the reality is that Jesus is really picking a fight with the evil one we, we know of as Satan. It's a fight that was a very important fight because without it, he would not have the right to show compassion and forgiveness to any of us here, none of us. And through the ages, it wouldn't even be possible. Without doing so, he would not be able to prohibit the nations from literally having their eyes blinded. Do you realize that the vast, vast, vast majority of us here are Gentiles? Do you know up until this point, the Gentiles, they didn't follow. And we understand through much of Scripture why that is, that until this time of this week, the eyes of the nations were blinded in a way that that blindness was taken away because of this fight that's going on. Now, there are two texts we're going to use. We're going to use one text to kind of give us a little period just for a few quick minutes. Won't even read the text, but it'll help us kind of see this idea of him being a warrior. And then we'll turn attention to another text that we will read in detail, and it'll show us how even as this warrior, he has this compassionate and forgiving nature that's so vitally important. So the first text is found in the book of Mark. It's Mark chapter 11. It's where we call the the Palm Sunday text. It's the Sunday or, or the, uh, the day uh, where Jesus literally goes into Jerusalem. Now, here's the bigger picture. Here's what's happening. He enters into Jerusalem. He comes straight to the temple. It's late in the day when he does this. 
He enters into the temple and he just surveys. He just looks around. He begins to see what's going on. He does not like what he sees and he leaves. It's kind of odd. He goes away, goes back to, goes to Bethany, which is about a mile and a half walk. He gets back to Bethany. The next thing we read is he enters back in Jerusalem the next morning. He goes straight to the temple and when he goes in that temple, he's not a happy camper. With what he sees, and you know what he does, if you know the text, you can read the text in Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 7, and it'll tell you. I mean, he came down hard. In fact, it says that because of what he did, the people were afraid of him. And after he had taught them, which brought fear the way he taught them, he exits and he leaves. I taught this text as my primary text on a Palm Sunday one year, and and uh, I just led a fellow to the Lord, and he had, it was in my, my journey group, and he was coming along as a brand-new believer. And I remember he was sitting right over here, and the service that he was in ended, and he came up to me, and he said this. He said, Randy, this Jesus guy, he had an attitude, didn't he? <laughs> I said, you're right, he had an attitude. You know why? He's a warrior. Don't ever think that your God's not a warrior. He's going to fight for you. He's going to come after you because he's fighting for your life. That's the warrior that he is. Incredible story. We wouldn't have Easter without it. He completed his fight on Easter, but until then, there's a lot going on. Won't teach everything that's happening. We learned through, through the book of Revelation a lot that takes place that week. But we know this. It was this time that all authority was given to him. It was during this week. It was because of what happened during this week, the demonic world was fully subjected to him. In fact, we read in Revelation 12 that now authority of Christ has come. This is when the law's demand was met, when Jesus goes to Calvary, which we'll celebrate and talk about on Friday. That's when the law's demands were met and when that happened, now Jesus has the right and the privilege to show compassion and forgiveness that he could never show. And in doing so, would release the Gentile world to be able to understand and to follow. That's the bigger story of what's taking place. Now, that's, that's just a little glimpse of him as the warrior. I just don't want to forget that. I'm not teaching on it, but that's, that's important to know. But there is a second factor that we have to look at, and it's going to come through our next text, and that is Luke 15. So if you have Luke, 15, Luke uh, your, your scriptures, Luke 15, verses 11 through 32, this is where we'll see him as the compassionate and forgiver that he is. Now, by the way, when he enters into Jerusalem, in that text, it tells us that he stopped and he had compassion as he looked over the city of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? I mean, here's a God who has deep compassion for these lost people. But he cannot, he cannot forgive them unless something happens. And that's where we're going to understand this text in Luke chapter 15. This particular text is commonly known the, the, uh, the story of the prodigal son. I hate that description. I think that is such a bad title. It's really not. 
the parable of a prodigal son. A lot of you know what I'm talking about, the parable. I'll, I'll run over it quickly, but, but it's really not the parable of a prodigal son. If anything, it's the parable of an unbelievably gracious and compassionate father. But if you're going to pick on any of the two sons to say this is what this particular parable is about, it's not, it's not the one that went out and sowed his oats and did all the things that we know of the younger brother. No, the real story was about that elder brother. And just so before we get into reading it, so you get the whole picture, I'm not going to read it all in one standing here. So please understand, here's what happens. He tells a parable and he tells the parable because he's just had a discussion with some folks. In fact, we see it in the first two verses of 15. The parable hasn't begun yet, but this is the context. It says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to him. So here are all these people that are tax gatherers and sinners. They're the bad, bad people of the community. They're listening. They're interested in what Jesus has to say. Verse two says, both the Pharisees and the scribes, though, they began to grumble saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And then we began to see, he tells this parable. It's because of these scribes and Pharisees he's telling the parable. He's saying, you're my primary audience. Listen to what I have to say. He's got this other people over there that are coming and interested. They're scribes, uh, uh, they're tax gatherers and sinners, and their hearts are really interested. They want to hear, how do you deal with my problem? And these guys are going, I don't have a problem. And Jesus said, oh, no, no. I'm going to tell you how to deal with your problem, and I'm going to show you that you do have a problem. And therein he begins the text. It is a parabolic mirror as I see it. He's able to tell this little parable and people see themselves in the mirror. Now, you got to think, what was it like for a father to lose his son? Because here's how the story goes. He has a younger son. He has an older brother or young, older son. And the younger one says, hey, I, I don't like life right here the way it is. I, I want to I go do my own thing. So he says, dad, I want my inheritance now. Two or three days later, he runs off. He squanders it in a distant land, it says. Now he's without anything. Now he's getting desperate, so he has, to go, he has to go get a job, and the only job he can get is feeding swine of all things. He has nothing, and so he begins eating the food that he's feeding the swine, the pods that's just nasty, nothing you and I would want to eat. And finally, he comes to his senses, and he says, hey, what am I doing? Uh, my, uh, my dad... He's got hired hands that are working better than me. I'm going to go back to him and I'm just going to say, let me be a hired hand. Would you please do that for me? He comes back. I mean, if you know the story, the father, oh my goodness. Uh, he rejoices that his son is home. He throws a huge celebration. He gives him a ring and a robe and sandals and all that stuff. He kisses him and he says, fix the fattened calf. And he does. But the real story is this elder brother says, what's the music? What's all that? Well, you hadn't heard your brother came home. He did what? Yeah, and your dad, man, he accepted him full board. I mean, put a robe on him, sandals, ring on his finger. I mean, he's getting it all. They're gonna have a celebration. Kill the fatted cat. They're gonna celebrate. Come on in. He says, not a way in the world I'm going into that house. Won't do it. The father comes to him and says, son, your younger brother has come home. Why don't you rejoice in that? 
He's going to have no part of it. And the real storytelling is about that brother. We learn a lot about many of ourselves right here, huh? Well, let's, uh, let's think of it as the big picture. No need nor ability to show compassion or forgiveness without two realities. Here's the first one. Number one, the lost condition of man. Now, the lost condition of man is told in the book of Romans. If you summarize it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, do we really believe that all have sinned in the same way and therefore we deserve the same result? I don't know about that. How about my dad? He's the greatest man that ever lived. He just died. He wasn't a Christian, but how about this guy, serial murderer? Are you going to tell me they all sin and they're all the same? There's no difference between the two? How can you believe that? This text helps us to understand. It's just expressed in different ways. Our sin is just going to be differently expressed. So we have first the prideful rebel, which is represented by the younger brother. Make it very simple. He's deceived by the luring world. So we look at verses 11 and following it says, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of this state that falls to me. So he divided wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, the distant country, Augustine, the great theologian from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, Augustine made it real clear. He said, you know what that distant country is? It's forgetting God. It's not that, oh, I forgot, there's a God. No, it's I'm forgetting God. Uh, God's not... He's not what I'm looking for right now, and I need something, and I'm going after it on my own. That's the distant country. It says he squandered his possessions with loose living. In other words, he was having a good time. You know what I hate to hear Christians say? I hate, I hate when Christians say, you know, all this sin and all this stuff out there, it's no good. It's horrible. It's, it's, it's like, uh, you, you'll, you'll be so sorry. You're so, I mean, it's, it's just no good. No, the truth of it is, sin is a lot of fun. That's why everybody wants to do it. It's enjoyable. Let's not say it's not enjoyable. But I want to speak to our young people here. I tell you guys, you hear this now. It is fun. But I'll tell you the truth. The day will come. And you'll say, why? Why did I give up so much to get so little? It, it's not. It's not what we think it is. But we can't help but feel right now. This is everything I need right now. It's not. It's not. Imagine how that father felt. He sees his youngest son who he loves to death. And he's going a direction. He says, how can it be? Modern day picture. You're an Alabama graduate. Your son says, I'm going to Auburn. <laughs> Maybe worse now, I'm going to Georgia. Let me tell you, it couldn't compare. This father is saying, that's my son, and he's going away. I don't know if I'm ever going to see him. One of our parents, longtime friend, said, you know, right after this last service, my, my son is the younger brother. He's walked away from God. My other son loves the Lord, but my, 
My younger son's walked away. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a heart of a parent that's hurting. If you love Jesus and your children are walking a different direction, imagine that. That's the story of this father. But we come to verse 14. We get a little insight what's going on with this son. He says, now when he had spent everything, this is the younger son, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he began to be impoverished. So the reality is, is that his resources, not all exhausted yet. It gets a little worse. Look at 15 and 16. So he went, hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. Uh, now he can say, all right, it, it's, it's, it's about as bad as it's gonna get. Exhausted my resources, I've done everything I can get. Now I'm in big trouble. He's feeding swine. Now any Jewish boy like this young man would know that swine is the vilest of all animals. They'd say, oh my gosh, and I'm feeding them? I'm supporting their life? What in the world has this come to? And he realized, just like all the rest of us eventually realize as we go this route, you know what we're doing? We're going from garbage heap to garbage heap, toy to toy, fix to fix, relationship to relationship, and we think, surely, I can find the love I need there. It just doesn't happen. Then we come to verse 17 through 19. He comes to his senses. He says, but when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, just make me as one of your hired men. The cup of misery is now filled. He comes to a census, which is another way of talking about repentance. He repents. You see, prodigals are searching for love. That's all they want, but they're looking where it can't be found. And he came to his senses. So he tells the story of a repentant prodigal son. But now he's going to talk about the other son. And he's really not just talking about the son. He's talking about these scribes and Pharisees, the moral, religious, the good people. And this is what he says about them in Luke 15, beginning of verse 25 and following. It tells the story, the portion of the story now where the, where the elder brother says, you know what? I ain't going into that place. I, I'm not going into this celebration. What are you talking about? My dad, I've been here all the time. I've done everything he asked me to do. I've been a good boy. I've done this. I've gone to church. I've, what in the world have I not done? And he is going to celebrate him after what he's done? That ain't right. And he is just ticked off. Which tells us this. When he says, I will not go in, he's saying, I'm lost while at home. And I guarantee you, among all of us here, there are a lot of us. Yeah, we're home, but we're lost inside. And he says, that's the most dangerous of all conditions. You see, what we don't understand is we're lost, not in spite of our goodness. We're lost because of our goodness. That's what we have to repent of, to repent of our goodness. So here's the question. Parents, you can have a rebel 
or you can have a moralist as a child. What do you want? If you had to choose between the two, what would you choose? I remember the night that Carol and I were laying in bed years and years ago, and we discussed that very question. We said, we better decide right now because we just found out that our youngest son was kind of the younger brother. He truly was the younger brother. He was, he was heading his way out. And we knew some of those things. He had revealed to us some of the things that made that, what that trip was all about. And we had to ask, which do we want? And I remember that night we came to a conclusion. We said, we'll thank God that we have a younger brother and not an elder brother. And let me tell you, the elder brother is a temptation to have as a child because they make you look pretty good as a parent. Uh, they don't, you're not scared that they're going to maybe do something and hurt themselves or somebody else and all those things. I mean, it's just, it just seems a whole lot easier. But here's the deal. The younger brother is worse. The elder brother is worse off. So tell me, which do you want as a child? The worst kid or the one that's worse off? Well, I want the kid that's worse. Because I know this, that even in going worse... Going worse, there is the hope that they're going to see, as this younger brother did, hey, my resources are exhausted. I'm not going to find love the way I'm living. I don't deserve love. And all of a sudden, grace appears to be so beautiful. And they go from the pits up to the platform of grace. And they go, wow, this is what counts. Now, what we want is neither elder brother nor older brother. What we want is a, a child that is in the home, and he loves the Father, and he loves the home. In our case, he loves his God. Religious moralist. But there's a second and big point that's a very short one for teaching, but I wanna make sure that we don't miss the compassionate side, the forgiving nature of God. So we look at that in Luke 15, 20 through 24, and this is what it reads. So he got up, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. What a story. I love the picture. He runs, the father that is, runs to the son. He doesn't sit there and say, son, show me that you really care. You come running to me. He doesn't do that. The son has not said a word in this parable. It's just a parable, but there's no word said. Maybe there's some significance in that. I know this, the father realizes he's come back. And with that, the father rejoices. So he puts sandals on his feet. You know what that represents? Sandals represent that he's a free man. Uh, people who were free, they wore sandals. The slaves didn't wear the sandals. He said, you're not coming in as a hired hand. You're coming back as my son. Then he put a robe on him. He said, get the best of the robes. Wow. Do you know what robes represent? It represents honor. He says, I want to honor you, son. 
to honor. You can understand the elder brother. He said, what are you doing? You're honoring him after what he's done? But here's the big one. Puts a ring on his finger. You know what a ring represents? An inheritance coming to you. He just took his inheritance and he blew it. You wonder why that elder brother's ticked off? He's saying, you're cutting my inheritance in half because of what he did and now comes home. You should have given me his inheritance and never let him take it. That's the heart of the elder brother. He can't figure out why God wouldn't treat him or her in a special way because look how I've lived. Or to put it in that man's own words, are you going to tell me that my dad is going to perish in hell while this guy over here is being celebrated through eternity? Uh-uh. Elder brother, younger brother. Isn't that interesting? I love the, the idea of a kiss. He kissed his son. I love to think of the kiss of the father. You know what that is? That's acceptance. The kiss is saying, I accept you. Come on back, just as you are. Let me just once again give you the definition of repentance. I know I've said this a hundred times, and too bad, I'm gonna keep saying it. Because we gotta understand this. Repentance is not just that step to say, okay, I'm wrong. I admit I'm wrong, therefore, I've confessed. Confession is not repentance. You gotta add another step to that. The next step is remorse. Somebody says, yeah, I'm wrong. I admit I did what I did, that's wrong. <laughs> sure, I'm glad I did it, because now guess what I get to do? I got this, I got that, I got this, and now I'm really glad I did it. Turned out good for me. That's not repentance. Repentance is remorse and says, you know, I may fail again, but I wish I'd never done what I did. It would never be my intention to do it again. Though I may, it's not my heart's intention. But even that's not repentance. Remember, repentance is that next step that says, not new to me, I come to the open arms of a loving father and I say, your love is enough for me. That's when you say, you know what, I've been out looking for love, but I've been looking for love all these different ways out here as a younger brother. I've been looking for love all because of my goodness as an elder brother. I've been looking for love and acceptance from the wrong, wrong place. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna come back to the open arms of a loving father. That's what repentance is. Just remember this, seeker, you matter to God. He wants to come after you. So the last question, I guess, is how do you get home and how do you know if you are at home? How do you know that? Well, there is a, a good little way to understand that. It's, it's kind of, it's when duty turns into delight. But I'll tell you, that can be very confusing. I think it can be misleading to many. I think somebody that came up to me last night had been misled by the very idea of delight. But let me read you two quotes. This young man had just heard these two quotes. First by John Newton, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty are joined to part no more. William Cowper says, 
to see the law of Christ fulfilled and hear his pardoning voice changes a slave into a child and duty into choice. Do you hear that? It changes duty into choice. It doesn't change duty into delightful choice necessarily. To break away from sin doesn't delight us if we love the sin. But we delight in the choice because we know our master says, no, not good for you, not helpful, harmful. And therefore we say, I delight in trusting my master. I remember going to my mentor, one of my two mentors, Frank Barker, and I said, help me, this is years ago, help me with this delight thing. And listening to a teacher that's teaching about delight, and you know, delight, we should delight. And he said, how misleading, isn't it? You understand there are many different levels of delight. And we always tend to think of the end of the spectrum where we delight like, oh, this is the most wonderful. I love, I just delight in winning the ball game. I, my emotions are just taking me over. I'm so excited because look what just happened. And then we say, but I'm not delighting that way when it comes to obeying Jesus. And I say, please don't miss it. There are two things as this young man, maybe in his 30s, came up to me last night after the service. And he says, help me understand this delight. I'm, I'm following the Lord, but I don't always delight in it. And therefore, something must be wrong. I said, two words. You remember these two words. Number one is theology. The other one is motivation. Check your theology. I taught on this not too long ago in a different message. Repeat it again. Theology. Do you believe that your following and obeying Jesus is gonna merit the love of Jesus in any form or fashion for you? Do you think anything you've done wrong will ever, or that you continue to do wrong, is ever gonna take away the love of God? Do you believe that? No, I do not. I said, number two, what is your motivation then? Why are you following after Jesus? And his answer had to be, well, because he's my God. Look what he's done for me. I look at him, I say, it's all I wanna hear. Yeah, it's wonderful when God gives that incredible delight and it'll come, it comes in spurts. God didn't want us to ride that high forever. It's in the valleys that most of the fruit's gonna be born anyway. But it's a delightful and wonderful thing to have it. But you know what? No, no, no. We love him. So, how do you really know? Uh, maybe this story will help kind of tie it together. My uh, youngest son, some of you heard the story, but uh, we, we were talking. He had revealed some stuff that was going on in his life that was not good stuff. This is my youngest son, and, and uh, he gives me permission. I talked to him today about it. But he, uh, and he told me I'm doing some, some stuff that's not so good, and he told me, and I, uh. And I, after hearing it and kind of observing his heart, we began to think, you know, this is, he's lived the life of the, of the elder brother and now he's kind of revealing that he's the younger brother. I probably should have asked this long before based on other things, but I just simply said, let me ask you, are you a Christian? And oh, he got so upset with me for asking the question. He said, dad, of course you know I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian, I mean, yeah, I'm a Christian. I asked him why and he gave the wrong answer. I did. I said, how do you know you're a Christian? He told me, and it was a bad answer. And I said, well, that's not according to the Bible. 
You're looking at the past, something you did years ago. A prayer and all that stuff, that doesn't make you a Christian. That's always fruit. It's present. You don't even know if you're... And he said, well, I am. And we just... I said, we're going to agree to disagree. Maybe I'm not the one to judge your heart. Only God can do that. You'll have to determine that. And then it was several years later. He came to me saying, Dad, you were right those several years ago. When you said I wasn't a Christian, he said, "I, I realize now I was never a Christian. And I said, well, how do you know that? He said, because I've become a believer now. And what he basically described was duty has turned to delight. Has that happened for you? If not, then get the bigger picture of the story. Do you know what the story behind the story is? It's a perfect elder brother, flawless. An elder brother named Jesus who realized that his younger brother has gone astray. And not only does he seek after him, but he pays the cost to bring him home. That's my story. That's many of your story. And if you really want to know, how can I find that same desire to come home? Look at the cost. Go to the cross. This is Holy Week. Come Friday. We'll examine the cross. And you see what he does for us. And when you see that, watch and see if the heart doesn't start turning from duty to delight. And that's when you know. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we would ask that we would be a people who, whether tilting toward the younger brother or tilting toward the elder, uh, the elder brother, whichever we may be, we pray that we might be a people now that say, I want to come home. I want to repent either of my waywardness or repent of my, uh, of my morality and my goodness. Whatever it is that's been the places I've gone to find the love that I need so badly. Right now, I just want to tell you, I'm walking back into your arms. Maybe even for the first time, I walk into your arms and I want to declare this very moment, your love is enough. And with that, I'll be satisfied. Thank you, God, for what you have allowed for us to celebrate this week. And may we never forget the great compassion of our loving warrior, our Savior Jesus. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.